Hello, and good day, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Magic, the first Pioneers podcast. This podcast is all about the Pioneer format, and we keep our listeners up to date with what is new, interesting, and powerful in the world of Pioneer. I'm joined here with my co-host, as well as a special returning guest. Hey, everybody. It's the Japan hobbyist, Ryan, uh, coming out of the Tokyo area of Japan, and special guest. Welcome back. How are you? Hey, everyone. It's uh, Harry13 from uh, Tac Talk, Tac Team, your go-to Pioneer grinder. And yeah, things are good. Things are good. I've got a big tournament coming up, as you know. I've got the Pioneer Showcase playoff. Me against twenty, I think twenty-four other people from Magic Online. Some some big names in it. So looking forward to that. And yeah, I'll be here to give you all the lowdown in Pioneer. Perfect. So we caught you at exactly the right time to give us sort of the uh, impression of what exactly is going on in the metagame. So this is kind of going to be our July wrap up on the metagame, take a look at things from a competitive side, what's doing the best at the top tables. And we'll usually look there as we look at what's really doing well on the big MTGO tournaments, as well as the little bit of results from big paper tournaments that we get as well. So that's kind of what we wanted to do is, you know, look at things like the super qualifier, look at things like the challenges, the showcase challenge, those kind of big moto tournaments are really what we think kind of drives the meta. You know, we look a little bit as well at like 5-0 leagues, you know, if you can say, hey, I keep seeing this showing up, that gives us some impression as well. But we really like to bring you on when we're looking at a competitive view of the meta, you're you know more in touch with it than we mm-hmm. are. So uh, just, yeah. You know, usually I end up letting you just talk a whole ton and I kind of sit here quietly <laughs> and uh, prompt you with a few questions sometimes, but that's kind of the preamble of what we want to talk about today. Hopefully you guys are excited for some competitive pioneer oh, discussion. Yeah. Everyone's got WMPQs coming up or, or something like that, so I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to hear about uh, the metagame. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, and I've noticed, like, um, from my perspective, obviously, like, uh, you know, my team's got its own Patreon and stuff and it really started to kind of blow up in time for when all these events started to come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Uh, people have got the, the competitive itch again. Pioneers. The crazy thing is, right, and this is the thing that I love, right? You guys will love this, right? Did you know the Pioneer Showcase Qualifier had more players than the modern one last weekend? Nice. Is that like 400 people or something? 400 plus, more than nice. the modern one. How, what does that say? Says that people are loving players Pioneer. Are be angry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's Pioneer's better than Modern, and that's why. <laughs> the truth finally comes out. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, how about we crack on? Let's let's discuss. Let's yeah. discuss some tournaments. So, um, mm-hmm. I was gonna say we had you on like last month. We did the same exact thing, and we're just gonna follow that that same setup. We're just gonna go week to week. Um, start with yep. like week one, I think, of like MTGO results, and then you can kind of just give us a, a general feeling of like what it was like playing that week, what was like the the dominant decks, uh, etc. And then we have yep. we had like I said, we we have some pioneer challenges and qualifiers, so we will be touching the surface on what did well, but we'd hopefully give us like an overall general meta, um, you know, uh, a feeling for the meta as well. If that's cool. Yeah, of course. So we'll start with the third of. The third of July on Magic Online. Mm-hmm. Um, the the winner was Luis Salvato, obviously a very good player on Rakdos Midrange. Um, is is with, this the challenge mm-hmm. or the super qualifier? Because I think they had two events that day. Right. So I can only see one, and it only says Pioneer Challenge. I can't find the super qualifier you're okay, talking well, about. I'll, on I'll link it the in website. the um, uh, Pod Live chats if you or our listeners want to check it out later. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no worries, no worries. I mean, um, 
Yeah, so Salvado, you want to go over uh, just yeah, the yeah, yeah. top eight and maybe tell us, is there anything that stands out to you or anything like that? Yeah, so we'll, we'll do the rundown of the top eight list, right? So Salvato was on Rakdos Midrange. Um, you all will probably be familiar with that deck. It plays a bunch of three-drop creatures like Bone Crusher, Trespasser, two drops in Blood Type Har- Harvester. It's just some. It's like a basically mid-range deck, bunch of removal, Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Top end tends to be like Chandra Torture Defiance, um, with some like spicy cards like Cut to Ribbons to get a little bit more reach. Um, second place was Andy Burden, who is playing a. Uh, mono green like aggro strategy mm-hmm. like we've seen a lot of mono green um devotion and this is mono green devotion except instead of playing the current package it was playing like um like mist cutter hydras burning tree emerses vivian was the planeswalker yeah. choice arcbow ranger playing one ranger class uh voracious hydra stuff like that a bit more a bit more low to the ground devotion um third place we had um this was quite a weird challenge, right? There's a lot of decks in this that aren't really big in the meta. So we had Oliver Hart, who came third. Oliver Hart's like one of these players that's consistently pretty good, but I haven't seen their name come up in a long time. Sometimes you'll get like non modal players, like just take a long term break. Mm-hmm. But um, he showed up with the Indomitable, indomitable Creativity combo. Mm-hmm. Basically, the, the, the card that they was getting comboed into was Torrential Gear Hulk in like Magma Opus. Um, so this basically wants to like utilize like Magmopus as a treasure token early on to um get ahead on mana, play like generic good cards like Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Um, and it's quite good because the way the deck's built is like you can probably take the creativity out and it's still like a decent mid range control deck, yeah, because you're ramping with the Opus and the Prismari Command, so you can cast Gear Hulk slightly earlier. And obviously, Gear Hulk with Magmopus is a big, big combo very effective um yeah, the yeah fable. Just a very powerful effect fable as well seems like some new tech copying the gear the gear hulks again and again yeah yeah and obviously like the token is relevant because you can target it with creativity mm-hmm. um you can discard like magma opus into the graveyard if you mm-hmm. want with the effect like it's just all fable really slots into this deck quite nicely and it allows you to play like an effective mid-range plan because you can create treasure tokens if you attack with the token ramping you up um yeah it's a nice deck i tried it out i five owed a league with it felt nice i made some changes um at the time didn't really like sensor that much in this deck i actually wanted to play some lava coils because mono green was the flavor of the week at that point um then we've got fourth place odorous Arungus on um mono white humans or orshov humans just splashing yeah. black for dranith and dire tactics um humans has been on the on the rise um people have felt like it's been effective to combat um a lot of the strategies at the moment thalia guardian of thraven is obviously a really nice card so um that started to show up then um fifth yeah. place we've got mm-hmm. i was gonna say i remember people were like uh i think this is around the time that they announced what the pioneer challenger decks were going to be and they're like black or white humans isn't good and then someone just like memed and like made the fourth place with it i think i think human builds in general were pretty decent i don't know how good they are like i'm not overly impressed with them but i think they're good enough to put up results from time mm-hmm. to time kind of similar to spirits i'd put them in the same realm as spirits like you'll always get very good players who can like pilot these decks to high finishes but maybe the average player might not be able to get as an effective result but then 
yeah like i think the the like i spoke about this before but i think the biggest issue with these decks is knowing how to build them like what the numbers look like of each creature because sometimes mm -hmm. they seem a bit random with the creature counts but yeah in fifth place we've got mono blue spirits this deck was like very popular in a way to combat the mono green heavy meta game it's quite a frustrating deck to play against everyone hates spirits no one likes mono blue spirits and don't even say otherwise <laughs> because it's the worst deck on the planet but it, um at this point in the month it was still putting up some results um i know a couple spirits players but yeah i agree with that sentiment yeah they're horrible people that's it no huh. Huh. um the sixth place was phoenix um this was the point in time like i said before the last um super uh showcase qualifier that um i felt like phoenix was the fourth best deck just because there wasn't a clean build um i didn't think people had the numbers right um this was at the point in time where if feel like there was like a consensus build like the hive mind was coming together to figure out what the cleanest build of phoenix was and um i think this was just around that time um i don't think it was quite there yet because of the numbers they were playing four shredder for phoenix um this was the initial pre preferential build um seventh place we had alberto sd on a bant humans deck humans just started to pick up people were figuring that the strategy was viable and then in eighth place we had jesse samick on uh black red mid-range so yeah you notice at this point in time mono green was on the downswing all these decks designed to beat it um were kind of well known in the meta and then you start to see red black mid-range creep back in because they're obviously very good against creature decks and as no surprise uh Black Red Midrange won that because that top eight is just full of humans and other creature strategies. Mm -hmm. So decks, decks so, that play efficient removal and a fatal pusher and bone crusher giant, human like creature decks just they all just die to bone crusher giant. The deck mm. cards just stupidly good, like it just yeah, no pun intended. It just crushes these human decks, these spirit decks because you're just like you've got a removal spell with pressure. So I was going to uh, say, like, um, comparing this to the first week of June. First week of June, I think we had, what, the Winota Bands, and we had yep. Mono Green Devotion kind of coming back into its own, I think. Um, you know, so basically people were kind of getting a feel for the format. What's happening in this first week? You know, is this so more of a, a people, I don't know, um, are they still testing so out the format? Or, you know, what's going on here? So basically, by this point in time, the metagame shifted, right? The flavor of the week is decks that are hating out mono green. But then this basically gave uh, Rakdos the chance to come back because mono green was much less represented. People were playing a bunch of these efficient low-to-the-ground creature strategies to beat it. Mm -hmm. And then this gave Rakdos the opportunity to take advantage of that and uh, crush crush the creature decks. Mm. So Yeah, so that's a little bit where I like to, you know, paraphrase things is that beginning of this month we were kind of looking at a meta where mono green was kind of at the top of it and mono blue was showing up to take it down yep. along with some other decks and now we've kind of gotten to a point where those have sort of cannibalized each other yep. and have pushed down and the decks that they were suppressing have moved back up yep. so we saw a little bit of that black red um black red's a little bit in flux too uh, would you say that's still kind of a top tier deck is it something you'd be taking to a future tournament yeah um i think um, in our in Tac Talks last podcast, I think it was a week or two ago, um, I I had a subsequent subsequent what I'd play going into the showcase chat qualifier just like 
just over a week ago, and I said I'd probably play Rakdos. If I'm obviously biased towards the decks I play, like I really like blue white control, but if I was like not me, someone else, like competitive player, I would probably have recommended Rakdos. I think Rakdos was in a good place, and yeah, I think it's one of the top decks in the format right now. Yeah, for sure. And I do want to say something about playing Rakdos uh, in paper events, especially. I feel like if you're sitting across from a player that has all their stuff together and they're playing Rakdos, and you know you're waiting for them to make a mistake, it's probably not going to happen. And that there's some kind of there's a little bit of a, a not like a mental not a mental block, but like. Um, how can I say you, you kind of like people will give up if they know that, you know, they really don't have a lot of outs against uh, a Rakdos deck. You know, I don't have they don't have enough ways to, you know, get around your removal or they can't deal with thought seize, etc. I felt like that a lot recently in playing paper events. Does that does that make sense at all? It's like online uh, you can't really see people's faces, their mannerisms. And it's but like you can kind of make people tilt a little bit better or not better more more easy more easily in in paper i think yeah yeah definitely i think it's it's a measurable it can feel measurable times to play against like i have a lot of people that in our in our patreon for example like a lot of people were asking me like because i was like 6-0 against rakdos with blue white but then i had people saying to me like oh how'd you do it how'd you beat it and i'm like just you it's hard there. to even <laughs> it's it's hard it's it's just hard to like respond to that because it's mm-hmm. like it's a very difficult thing like yeah. i wouldn't be able to write an article about it i couldn't articulate on how like yeah i feel like i feel like i've been able to grind out these matchups it's just like fundamentally it's kind of like the classic yes. blue white control in modern mm-hmm. v john like you just need to like maximize the effectiveness of your two for ones like mm-hmm. For example, in the blue-white Rakdos matchup, I think where a lot of people, players fall short is they're not utilizing their Wandering Emperor effectively enough. Like mm-hmm. they'll like game one when your opponent's stuck with loads of removal in hand, they'll like just it's... flash it in turn four without thinking, and then they'll minus it to make mm-hmm. a token, and then it just gets stomped plus mm-hmm. fatal push the creature, and I'm like. Like that's not how you play that yeah. game one. Like you've just given your opponent a, an out to their bad removal, and that stomp was going to go at your face and not really have much of an impact. And now it's mm-hmm. just got rid of one of your cards. Like that's how you lose the matchup is you're not thinking. You're making like you're just doing the thing like oh I cast this card in turn four because it's powerful. And mm-hmm. like, but yeah, but like yeah, not in this matchup. You don't. You use it. And you either plus and not make a creature. Or you use it to answer one of their creatures. So if they do decide to kill one, if they do have the answer for it, then well, you've traded resources. You've yep. not just lost your resources for dead cards. Like that's how you win game one against Rakdos. You give them a lot of dead cards in their hand, and then you take advantage of that, and you develop your mana, and then you have enough counterplay to like deal with their threats, resolve it to fairy, and protect it. But um, yeah. Anyway, so so this episode isn't supposed to be a deep dive on blue white, but I do kind of want to pick your brain on it because I think that it's a deck that people are a little surprised that many you know pros streamers and such are rating so highly, uh, and you're kind of giving us some context to that as far as would it be fair to say that you're saying that the deck is difficult to play somewhat? You know that the high skill level players can make a big difference on the deck. Um, I think it applies to a lot of the, the, the best decks in the format. Like Phoenix, Rakdos, and Blue White are hard decks to play. I think Phoenix is the hardest deck to play. 
but I think Blue White mm, isn't. Okay. I think Blue White is not as easy as people think. Like people think, like oh yeah, you have very powerful planeswalkers. How hard can it be? But as I will know, like there's so many decisions that you need to make. Like what I just um, articulated in the Rakdos matchup, um, you need to you need to have a plan. You need to know very well what hands you can keep in Mulligan. Like you need to you need to understand each matchup very well. Like another one that I get a lot is like there's a lot of difficult matchups like mono green is not a, a straightforward matchup lotus is not a straightforward matchup you need to know your game plans and how you win in each of these games like you need to know the meta more than i'd say above average like you need to know it more than like an average meta i'd say because you get really punished for mistakes or like prioritizing the wrong things in matchups um, How is the matchup between uh, Rakdos and Blue White? Because I remember a time when it <clears throat> felt unwinnable from the Blue White side. Um, I think it's very skill dependent, and I, like I mentioned this before, like uh, Gabe Nasif was playing it in a, in a stream, and I was saying like. Um, I think you really it, a lot of it comes down to knowing how to utilize Wandering Emperor uh, from the blue mm. white side, and like as I just spoke about, like I feel like a lot of people were were playing it in autopilot, like just doing what they thought was the standard play, but it was actually like ineffective for them mm. i think like over the course of three games you have access to some silver bullets in your sideboard like, i think dream trawler is amazing mm-hmm. you have to bear in mind people are playing cards like invoke despair and um, so you need yep. to like yep. keep that in mind it's just basically classic john v blue white and modern equivalent like you just need to utilize maximize your two for ones um sensor goes a long way against uh, rakdos as well like if they play around it you're still it's a win-win because you have more time to develop your mana and double spell so like considering all the memes about rakdos being uh, mono three drops <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly like you have to you have to like the cards you care about the most in the three drops probably the most important three drops like fable and mirror breaker then it's graveyard trespasser then bone crusher giant you have to prior you have to know what 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 ones you prioritize what ones you care less about um and yeah it's just leveraging two for ones that's all it comes down to don't get don't get too like some people just feel like they have to counter everything that's not the case in the matchup mm. like don't do that either like have a plan for if they if they have the chandra in hand like how are you going to play around it use your life total as a resource as well like this is classic control yeah like a, a lot of people just don't utilize their life total as a resource enough and that's how they lose games of magic so decision control, making basically. very, yeah, very yeah, important yeah. for Blue And Mulligan, Mulligan yeah. very conservatively as well. Like game three, like game two and three, if you have a hand of like five lands, two spells, or even like six lands, one spell, just keep it. Why are you Mulliganing? You're against a Thoughtseize <laughs> deck. Like Thoughtseize duress, like go blanks, like don't Mulligan unless you absolutely have to. And uh, yeah, that's... I've been paid off for keeping some really bad hands. Hmm. <clears throat> you know, paid off for keeping some really bad hands based on the concept of you never mulligan against a Thassi's deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 100%. Uh, and I do that as well. But yeah, I think it's just like knowing the deck very well. But to, to like, people just want to pick up and play decks. They don't want to put the reps in, and this is where they get punished heavily. Like, I remember one of the best things I ever got told was like before playing Inverter for the first time in my life. My friend, uh, David Calf. Who I was on a team with at the time was like he basically said to me i think you'll be great with this deck but you're gonna lose a lot but then you'll start winning a lot and, they, and i was like what and then i started playing deck sure enough i lost a lot and then i started winning a lot and I, I, it made sense it made, it made perfect sense to me like why he said that 
And I think, hey, can I get, uh, sorry, you you just prompted me on another question I want to ask. You know, you kind of said, you've said Phoenix is a difficult deck, Blue White is a difficult deck. I definitely agree. You know, Rakdos definitely has a lot of intricate lines. You know, we're coming off of a meta where we used to have Winota, which was probably the easiest deck to pick up and play for for many people. What would you say is kind of the pick up and play deck now? Like, I I don't think anyone listening to this podcast is probably like, oh, I've never played Pioneer before. Yeah. But if I were to talk to someone who was in that situation, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm I'm at a store and somebody's like, hey, I don't play Pioneer, but I want to spike this tournament this weekend because it's the only thing. What deck would you suggest to them? Oh, definitely Mono Green. Mono Green has got so many individually powerful cards, and it's a very, very intuitive strategy. Sure, the combo you need to kind of think about. However, like you don't need to win through the combo. Like you, you play your elves. You play your, you know, you play your ramp spells. Play your Kiora. Untap more lands. Play big spells. Draw cards. Generate loads of mana play Karn, start mm. going off. Play a big spell, like I think Mono Green is definitely the go to pick up and play deck. Obviously okay. with ramp decks, the frustrating thing is you don't have a lot of agency. But if you're not a skilled player, then you benefit from that. I think it's just the more mm. skilled players don't benefit from playing Mono Green as much because they can't leverage their skill as much with those decks. Mm. Just with the lack of agency. But yeah, I definitely think Mono Green. I think Mono Red as well is like a good deck. Like people are putting up results. Um I'm not. I think like mono red. Yeah, because of Mm -hmm. life. What about the, uh, you know, aggro is usually a place that people go. Do you think that the heroic deck or like humans decks are pretty good for someone who's not as familiar? Yeah, like as long as you don't meddle, as long as someone's giving you a clean list, I think so as well. Mm -hmm. I think like, I think the humans deck's relatively decent. I think probably mono mono red would be my go to. I think Boros was good and I extremely mono green dominant meta but i've never been impressed by the 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 boros heroic deck to be honest but i definitely think it's like mm. tier two like yeah. maybe even a wee bit, a little bit better in tier two i think it's definitely a viable deck to play just not being that impressed like it just felt like without Luris, it just doesn't have it runs out of ga- if it runs out of gas it doesn't have any way of coming back like um but it definitely has it can definitely blow out people like yeah playing the what's the two mana one one white creature that connives Double strike. The uh, uh yeah, virtuoso. the um, virtuoso card. Yeah, yeah, yeah that card's insane. Like, if you can't answer that, you're probably like close to dead. Like, within a turn or two. So yeah, like I think I think those those decks are all fine. Like I'm not like I'm very like blunt when it comes to my thoughts on decks if I don't think they're good or not. But when I say good, I mean like can compete with the best consistently. That doesn't mean you. Yes, can- and, I, and I was about to give kind of a preface for our listeners is you know th- this is. W- our opinions, like don't mm. don't hate us if we're saying your deck is not amazing right now. We're looking at this just in context of you know playing the top tables in MTGO as well as you know we we said Mono Green's an easy deck to pick up and play. That doesn't mean it's not a good, fun, interesting deck. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You yeah, shouldn't yeah, feel yeah. bad if you're playing it. Just just want to put that out there. Yeah, like also th- that's a fun deck, and I used to play it a fair bit. Also, so expensive. It's hard. I mean, you can pick up and play it skill wise, but financially probably not yeah that's why i think like that's why i think like boros heroic is probably a good choice there then like boros is a very cheap deck to play yeah see if you're see if you're someone who's like you know casual who wants to get like competitive or a semi like you know competitive players like you know what i haven't played paper magic in a while i want to rock up to my fnm that's pioneer i don't want to spend i want to spend a hundred bucks max like don't really want to invest too much. Boros Heroic's a fine choice. Like I think mm-hmm. it's completely fine. I just 
don't prefer a deck but i might be biased in my own thoughts you know i might not actually be right i just like this is just the kind of thoughts that i have without Lurus. i'm like meh not really interested however like you still have access to gigantha you know you still have access to a big creature that you can an extra card people have done well with boros like people have won challenges with it it's definitely got something there i would yeah boros let's go with boros cost efficient i think the deck's fine mm. um you can definitely take out some people can definitely get under like blue white control sometimes it can get it beats more it's such a bad matchup for mono green like that matchup i think i was like one six against it with mono green it was horrendous so if you're expecting a lot of lotus green, field too i think is another one that oh it yeah, crushes. yeah absolutely it, demolishes it struggles with rakdos though Rectos yeah but it. i mean like it's just standard isn't it creature deck yeah. that against a fatal push deck mm-hmm. bone crusher yeah i mean like i can see it kalitas so we're gonna yeah. jump through the rest of week one real quick is there anything else we want to talk about uh, we, we did top eight do you want to go through the rest of the top 16 real quick i think mm, on the challenge prob- or should we like, skip it i think we should skip because like i think by the time we get through all these it will be yeah. like you know a very very long episode as much as you want as much content so, as possible people so what so yeah just to go just to kind of re, uh, review what we talked about in the first week of july we had a lot of aggressive decks low to the grounds we saw uh kind of uh spirits fall away because people were trying to go under it even further and because of that mono yep. green came back and this is kind of when rakdos started to dominate because of all these uh, these creatures that's why i won that qualifier does that sound good for week one wrap up so yeah except mono green didn't come back then because all the creature decks were killing it and it was rakdos that came back oh yeah it was rakdos that was the yeah sorry that rakdos was the point yeah, yeah that's good that's good so seven ten cro- next week yeah, yeah so basically what happened here was <laughs> so when rakdos came back huh. a lot of people started playing rakdos and because of that lotus came back my uh. most hated apart from one of blue spirits this is one of my most hated decks so um Yefridge or jeffrey 03 uh won the challenge with lotus um doesn't surprise me rakdos was rampant this deck crushes rakdos um as more mid-range comes back into the fold um john w came second so sometimes you have to take this with a pinch of salt because a lot of people split the finals of challenges just because like it saves time and both people were happy to split the, the prizes. Um, they came second with like mono white humans, but I would imagine this deck should have a reasonably good Lotus matchup. Anyway, um, third place was Marine Rush with a more clean version of Phoenix. They added two Thing Nice. I think it's a good idea. I like Thing Nice. I like it because it's good against uh, mono green, which otherwise. Can- Is that the like 10 creature list with like four? Yeah. Ledger Shredder for Phoenix Two Thing of the Ice. Yeah. I really like that list a lot as well. Yeah, this list is super clean. I think this is probably one of the top lists just for the meta. Like at some point, you find like the sweet spot where you're like, we don't need to change things here. All we need to change is maybe like, and this is where I'm with my blue white list. Like I don't really change much, but maybe tinker with a sideboard like by, like one or two cards if I'm expecting slightly more of a specific strategy. Um. So yeah, Phoenix in third. Tunak, Tunak, a very good player. Um, they're playing uh blue white control. Um, not really a fan of this list because it's eighty cards. I'll speak more about that when I get to uh later on. I have a very strong opinion about sixty versus eighty card blue white control. Um, 
Jesse Samick came fourth again with the 10 creature Phoenix list. Jesse Samick, good player. You'll probably see them come up fairly often. Um, yeah, pretty similar to the one that came second. Sam Rolf, aka Phil Helmuth. Um, shout out to Sam Rolf. Um, he loves just playing like tier two decks into Pioneer and still like top eights. This is what I'm talking about. So he was playing, um, the what's it called the four mana blue green enchantment uh what's the enigmatic uh, enigmatic incarnation yeah. he was playing at card enigmatic incarnation love that deck <laughs> uh it's such a measurable pile but yeah, yeah. <clears throat> playing cards like gloom shrieker um this is a kind of deck that's what is good. a magic player but a miserable pile of cards yeah exactly huh. uh tatsunari toad rider interesting card i think that was this deck's been kind of in the back for the past year or so it's been like lurking around um ever since carnation well carnation has been out for ages but um this deck's been like tier 1.5 tier 2 for a while occasionally shows up top 8 but i would always like so a rule of thumb is a deck is you can assert a deck is very good if mediocre to bad players are doing well with it but I wouldn't put much stock in a deck if a very good player does reasonably well with it, if that makes sense. Sounds like you're calling out uh, Claudio. Hmm. Yeah, 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 no, I'd be like, Cla- Claudio, <laughs> Claudio, Claudio scams everyone with Niftalite all the time. But like, I'm basically saying like, yeah, like don't put too much stock in if a deck puts up a top eight, but it's played by a very high level player. There's There could be all sorts of reasons as to why they, they're playing the deck. They might just play it for fun. Also, like the deck might not actually be that good, but they've they're good enough to get an edge anyway. Yeah. So that like that's it. worth like taking note of, and just just a general rule of thumb. It's the so, whole so um, Finkel <clears throat> ham sandwich. Uh, Jabber Jabberwocky Jabberwocky yeah. did it in Pioneer for ages with Sultai. He he did well in tournaments with Sultai when Inverter was the deck, but Sultai itself wasn't a great deck. He's just a great player playing mm-hmm. absolutely a reasonably yeah. good deck. Uh, we had a couple of Lotus play, uh, Lotus Field players for a while before that deck was really popping off yeah, that yeah. were continually showing up with it even when it wasn't meta at all. Exactly, exactly. So that's that's a good rule of thumb to take when you're trying to assess whether or not a deck is viable to play or not. Um, in seventh place, we've got P-Tarts, um, another friend of mine. Um, Black-Red Midrange, nothing special. This was very similar to the deck the week before, which Luis Salvato won with. Um, deck, as I said deck is a top four deck it's going to put up results regardless of where the meta is and then uh <clears throat> in eighth place we had willie edel very good magic player of course um this is the first time we see ragdoll sacrifice come back with obnixilis um this is a nice deck i think it's up there uh amongst the better decks of the format i don't know if it's one of the best decks but it, it will it will put up results because it's pretty I clean think- I think this matched up pretty well against Black Red Midrange, to be honest. Uh, I've yeah, played yeah. against it. Just it's it's the the Rakdos Midrange removal matched up so poorly against this deck. Yeah, of course. That's why you'll start seeing Hidegetsu consumes all in mm-hmm. some of the Rakdos Midrange boards because they they just find they just really struggle to deal with the the Cauldron Familiar combination. Claim mm-hmm. the Firstborn, take your three drops, sacrifice it, like. And what you'll notice with the Rakdos Midrange deck classically is they've never been very good at utilizing their life total as a resource. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to take a lot of damage just with the way their their deck lines up. So you can take advantage with Claim, 
bashing him with a creature and then sacking it uh, yeah. for a treasure afterwards. Yeah. And then Mayhem Devil normally does the last points of damage. Yeah, very effective strategy if you want to beat uh, Red Black, I think. And also, I think, you know, Abnixilis really came into his own uh, this season as well. Uh, didn't really have a spot at the beginning of the season. People were trying it in mid-range. Now it seems like it's pretty much a three of in most of the uh, sacrifice decks. Yeah, it's just great. It's a great answer to control. Like, no one's playing Detention Sphere, or maybe we should play one a one-off because if there's nothing that clearly answers it. It can just erode your 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 life total um forces you to counter things you wouldn't normally counter because you need to stay alive and yeah it's just very effective planeswalker turn three is very hard to interact with early enough and you can maybe answer one of the, the to- like the token or like the original copy but they will at least get one copy down and it basically acts like uh uh what's the enchantment uh boros uh god for three mana Clothis is basically mm-hmm. kind of has a Clothis effect against you, which, and um, one if you have any sort of pressure on board, then it's very difficult to deal with. So I did want to ask Rakdos sacrifice is one of the decks I most was interested in asking you about today because I have felt like it's just a meta deck in that like it preys on Rakdos really well. Um, I haven't really tested the blue white matchup as much, mm-hmm. uh, but you were saying it seems pretty good there. But other than that, it seems like it's bad into a lot of the popular decks. Um, would you say that it's something that's kind of just if you know you're going to see a lot of Rakdos and maybe Blue-White? Or is there another time where... Do you think that this deck is like legitimately stands on its own feet? I think... I don't know. I think it's one of those decks where um, it can seem really good if the meta is as how you put it like if it's rakdos blue white heavy like i'm not sure maybe that's why it's in my opinion not just not quite there with like the top decks i think um i think it i think there has to be a meta game where i don't think you can play it week in week out and expect like great results and i do even again like me playing against the deck personally i managed to win more often than not with blue white just because i have access to the card like farewell it's obviously draw dependent mm. if they get if i'm on the draw and they turn three of mixless me yeah it can be really problematic but they're not always going to do that and when they don't have those draws i tend to win so yeah i'm not sure but like people people were putting up results with it consistently i think it's good against most of the creature decks as well mm-hmm. uh, but also having a good rakdos matchup so I think I think it's definitely it can definitely jam like it's definitely there like it has all the tools. I mean, um, we're gonna talk about the deck that won the super qualifier. Yes, yes, we are on this in July, and I think the Rakdos deck absolutely smashes this deck. So, um, with the super qualifier, the first place winner was Stanku, who was playing Boros. So, for example, Rakdos Sacrifice would, abs- in my opinion, should annihilate that deck. Like, I don't see how that deck beats. Um, what what day is that sacrifices. from? Well, this is. I just clicked on the link below, and it's saying the third of July. Oh, third of is July was correct? a super qualifier. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. So I'm going down the links in chronological order, but that's yeah. the one you linked. So this is kind of ties in with the previous. I guess this ties in with the previous. I mean, we can talk about this, or we can skip over it. Like, um, I can give a quick summary. Um, basically, um, so this was kind of first place was Boros, second place was Nathan Stoyer. So basically, Nathan Stoyer's Phoenix list was basically the default Phoenix list from there on. So that's why you'll see a lot of the ten creature lists coming up consistently because Nathan Stoyer basically created the list, created a, a sideboard guide and stuff, and a lot of people bought into it. So you'll start seeing this list 
and it was basically Nathan Sawyer's. Um, third place again, Nathan Sawyer's list by um Piper Powell, holder time baby. Um, Nathan Sawyer, Piper, very good players. Does not surprise me that they got there. Uh, got the strong finishes. Fourth place, we got another good player from Brazil, um, Magina Linda, who played eighty card, um. Blue white control. Um, I know her and um Thiago Saparito have been playing like similar lists. Um, they're a big fan of eight cards. I'm not a big fan, but yeah, I've heard we'll that. Get, well, we'll I think on. that that's kind of like a meta shift we can talk about a little bit later. But yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe when we talk about your list, but yeah, and then we have I don't even know how you pronounce this person, Skneru McQuacksh or something. Uh, playing Rakdos, sixth place. We have Vastacor playing. Spirits, blue white spirits again, probably to tackle the the mono green, and then dark twenty four with the Boros deck again. This was in a time where mono green was popular, and this was the best deck against it. Uh, and then we had another phoenix list, so yeah, that was but that was a week before the week we got to. Um, so yeah, so from that you can see where the phoenix list came from. A lot of mm-hmm. people did well with phoenix. And it was Nathan Stoyer that basically created the ten creature list, and that's where, um, that's what that's what led to Phoenix starting seeing a rise in popularity. And we did see that around about mid July, a lot of people were playing Phoenix again. Um, a lot of people were convinced it was the best deck in the meta. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not so convinced because I think, I think if you're a very good player and you can play Phoenix to a very high level, then sure, I think you can get an edge over a lot of matches. But I think the deck is very, very difficult to play efficiently. And I think a lot of people fall into the trap of people will get into this echo chamber where they think Phoenix is the best deck. Despite, you know, it has one week of good results and people are like, oh, it's the best deck. And then play it and then they can't play around sideboard hate and they lose a lot with it. And I think that's the issue that people have. Right. So second Um, week, I was going to say second week wrap up. How would you wrap that up then? Like like you said, people were starting to kind of hate on the black-red mid-range. Yeah, yeah, it's just a meta shift. So basically Lotus, I think, top uh, finished first both challenges because basically a lot of people were playing Rakdos. Um, mid-range decks were coming back into in vogue and then people decided we're going to go over the top here again. Phoenix, uh, Lotus comes back. Lotus is good as a good deck to have in your back pocket. I think if you time it well, it can do very well. However, I don't think the deck is the deck's the deck's very good, but it's not in my opinion one of the best decks. I think it's tier one point five and it mm-hmm. comes and goes in the meta. People time the meta and they do well with it. And it but you need to know the deck very well to do well with it as well. It's a difficult deck to pilot effectively. So <clears throat> following that, we have the eighteenth of July. And oh look, Harry thirteen first place. Wow. Nice. <laughs> what a, what a, what a great Magic the Gathering player we have here. So um, <laughs> basically, I split the finals with uh, Matthias Leverato, who was on Rakdos. Basically, um, I played, I played a list similar ish to the one where I came second in the showcase qualifier, um, but I decided I want to play four sensor. Feel like sensor is like just such a good card in general for control decks. It, I felt like you always wanted to have access to something to do in turn two. Um, and I felt like sensor was quite good against Rakdos, just answering their their must answer three, not must answer, but like important three drop spells. Um, I felt like I'd built the deck to do quite well against Lotus as well. I had like 
uh, Narset's reversal and a summary dismissal. Um, I beat Lotus three times in that challenge. Um, Wandering Emperor gives you a decent clock. Um, I managed to win a lot of game ones. However, I played the same opponent twice and only had one basic and I kept drawing fielder runes. So I ended up like uh, stunting their mana quite effectively. Hmm. Um, and I was playing... I, I figured that Hengegate Pathway was better than Glacial Fortress. Glacial Fortress felt like a Zorius Guild get a lot of the time and I felt like in a lot of situations you want to have access to Portable Hole turn one, especially on the draw. So I started to play Hengegate and didn't really feel like it affected my mana base that negatively. Um, I think, I think the I think the six card version is better than the eight card. Um, eight card is good if you want to win the war of attrition. It's pretty mm-hmm. good in the matter. You have more things. You have more cards to cast. Like the games tend to go super long, sure, but normally like post board you probably find hullbreaker horror before the eighty card deck on average. That card is a bit of a mirror breaker. If you cast it turn ten, like with a with any sort of like spell to cast, the only downside with Hullbreaker is you're not you're not a opt or consider deck, so you don't really have a lot of proactive spells to cast to take advantage of it. But um, but yeah, yeah, I felt like I felt like sixty card was a lot better against decks like Lotus. Um, people fall into a lot of traps of blue white as well, and I think first of all like 80 card blue white is just a bad yorion deck it's not a good yorion it's not a reason to play yorion like don't add mediocre cards to your deck to have a companion just don't do it um you can play kahira if you want in this deck Um, also like don't play narsets in your main deck you're a blue white flash deck people i just see people playing like narsets and i'm like why are you doing it like it's not what your deck's doing you're predominantly playing your cards at instant speed you're, you've got even you've even got planeswalkers to cast at instant speed like keep your deck straightforward mm-hmm. you're a draw goal flash deck um so that's why you've got like a narset in the sideboard because obviously narset is quite good against lotus and phoenix it's worth having access to but don't really Let, maybe leftover leftover from yorion because everyone's like hey i can blink it and use it again <laughs> but you know without yorion in there it's just yeah good. just it just it just felt like playing the yorion deck it just wasn't consistent enough and i didn't have enough good cards I didn't have enough access to good cards to justify Yorion and I just kept dying because I couldn't draw my like in the sideboard I wanted access to silver bullets and I just couldn't play them because the 80 cards just diluted the chances too much and yeah just felt like it wasn't consistent and I preferred the 60 card version it's a lot cleaner um, and yeah I just preferred it but yeah, second place we have Levonga, uh, Matthias Liberato with uh, Rakdos, the thing oh. I liked about his, his list hmm was that a lot of the Rakdos decks were just playing, like, uh, me and David Inglis were, were talking about this, and he basically said, like, everyone, the deck's just full of Terminates, and then the sideboard's just full of Terminates. Like, what's, why? Like, people just kept playing, like, your deck's choked with removal spells, and you're just playing more removal spells on the board. Like, you're not you're not utilising your sideboard effectively. I like uh, Mateus's because... They've got Dampen Spheres, you've got like Hidegetsu, Consumes All, Invoke Despair, you've got some like, like you've got a lot of gold blanks and duress, like yeah you, you have like some lava coils, some downfalls, but like it's not just like mono, as I said, mono removal spells, like Terminate style effects, like you've got a lot of different specific removal spells that are very good in certain matchups, um, and I just liked, I liked the build, like it didn't go too over the, it wasn't going too mid-rangey with a bunch of five drops like there was a lot of like no no strangle was a good one i think strangle was completely pointless in the deck you didn't need it you've got four bone crusher and you've got four fatal push um 
you didn't need another one mana removal spell. So, mm. yeah. Interestingly enough, we've got Jan Maurice Merkel in third place with Abzan Greasefang. I don't know if you've seen this, but like this deck's I picking up some real pace. This deck's quite nice. Um, I think this is the best Greasefang build. I think the Esper one's probably the worst. Um, you just have a very good plan B because you've got Esca Chariots. Mm-hmm. You can play a mid-range strategy. Um, you've got cards that are okay, like Rafine's Informant. Um, you have access to Trespasser on the board. Like, just think it's a very good version of the deck, and I think we'll probably see a lot more of this going forward. Yeah, I've I've really enjoyed playing it. Just, it fills the yard so quickly, but yeah, like yeah, you yeah. said, that that's that backup plan with Chariot just gets out of control really quickly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, um, I think I think this is the best version of the deck, and obviously Jan Marie Smerkel is a very very good Magic player, so it doesn't surprise me that they've chosen um the best version of the deck to play with and they've done well with it and it's funny because everyone thought it was a meme like a couple of weeks ago it's like oh it's not it's oh not good. yeah there's definitely a bit of like oh yeah why why is anyone on abzan that could be on <laughs> rakdos or you know, even esper it's people were interested fun. in still <laughs> no i think i think like i think the deck the deck's combo was is a very powerful one and like you have access to really powerful draws of the plant. The issue was like you're just a bit of a glass cannon. You don't really have an effective plan B, but yeah. Um, Jan's I think like mm-hmm. I was gonna say. I think that both the Esper and the Mardu versions could probably take a page out of this. You know, this deck and like if you have another powerful four mana vehicle like a Sikius chair that you could put into that deck, I think they could do better as well. Hmm. Yeah, but only having Parhelion, like you said, Glass Cannon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it, it requires a lot of effort, to be honest. I'm not. It will be you will be getting those uh, those breakthrough decks from me, to be honest. Like I'm gonna try out the 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 Abzan version. I quite like it. Um, I think it can play a kind of grindy game. Weatherbloom just like destroying like a, a rest in peace and, and draining yeah. them for two. Like that that adds up over time. Like I don't know. I think. I think this deck could be the real deal to be honest this could this could end up this might be the next deck that might push its way into the top deck category um but watch this space in fourth place we have lotus which they were my semi-final opponent who i beat for the second time um yeah lotus it's a powerful deck it's going to put up results um i was prepared for it though and I and I got the best of them twice, and yeah, I was rewarded for my my plans. Um, Gracias Pertanto, another good, very good player, playing the the worst version of Blue White Control, the eighty <laughs> card version. I just don't see how people can consistently like get wins with this. Like I just feel like half the time you just draw the wrong half of your deck and die. So also like you're playing so many four drops and like this happened to me so many times with this build was you would just get stuck on three lands and draw four drops and i just just didn't like it just it's my own bias but i'm just really just not a fan of this kind of build i just don't think your cyborg cards are not that impactful and yeah i think you just lose to lotus but uh, Grasses Potanto is a very good player, so he'll get wins anyway. Um, sixth place, we've got Telco. Okay, so this was a big innovation, right? So they're playing Mono Green, but Mono Green is now splashing for Nicol Bolas Dragon God. Seen what? that? 
Yeah, because obviously you've. I'm surprised you haven't seen this list, Ryan. It's great. You've got Oath and Nessa. I mean, so medium great. <laughs> you've got Oath and Nessa, so you can cast it for mm-hmm. any color. But True. um, obviously, like you can, you can get it off Stormfest though. But also, like if you keep um, if you keep like tapping on tapping Chainveil, eventually you're just gonna ultimate and you just win the game on the spot. Because I didn't, if the oh legendary creature or planeswalker, yeah. So in a lot of situations, your opponents will just die on the spot to this. So it's a bit of a faster win con, and obviously it's a nice, nice planeswalker like Nicol Bolas Dragon God is very powerful. So yeah, it's good into other planeswalkers. It's also you know I've seen some really nice things into stuff like in the mono green mirror, you can name Karn with your you know play your Karn, look for a uh, piling needle named Karn. And then use your bolus to minus two and find stuff yeah, that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really sick as well. It gets around Path and Needle really nice. Um, yeah, fair nice. play for the innovation. Nice. I like. I yeah. do like a bit of innovation. I'm not going to lie. And this was a nice one. So I will say, though, don't cut Kiora's for it. I've seen that, and I don't like that. Um, you'll still play four Kiora, yeah. but then this can be your fifth Kiora or fifth, fifth or sixth. Four, uh, four Kioras are a must... Um, I'm not a fan of Polychronos. Like I would cut this before I'd cut the fourth Kiora. Um, like this is a removal spell as well, so I don't really see the need to play Polychronos. Think four Kiora is like, don't cut them. Just don't cut them. The cards so important for the engine. Just keep them in. Um, seventh place we got Willy Edel. Um, fun fact. So Willy Edel was my last round opponent in that. Um, in the Swiss I was six zero. So I just conceded to him, and he was like, thanks. And I was like, no worries, good luck. Then I got paired into him again in the top eight, and he just conceded to me, like, on the huh. spot. And I was like, you didn't have to do that. And he was like, "That's for, thanks for being a nice person. I was like, I was like, yeah. So shout out to Willie Edel for graciously conceding the top eight to me. I do appreciate it. I was, didn't have to do it. but So they were playing the um, the Rakdos Sacrifice deck. Again, I think it's quite good at... I think at that point there was a lot of blue white and uh Vagdos mm-hmm. midrange. So they, they obviously got rewarded. I trust them to choose a meta meta game deck very well. So I think this was the weekend to play it, to be honest. There was just it just went back to like a lot of the best decks just getting played quite well, represented quite well. Like Phoenix was popular the week before, and then Blue White and Rakdos were very highly played. And uh you can see that because we've got like Rakdos in the top eight. We've got Mono Green in the top eight. We've got two different versions of Blue White Control, um, and we've got two different versions. We've got like various flavors of Rakdos as well. And Claudio was in last place, hmm. not last place, in eighth place with the Scam deck, which is uh, Nevtolite. Um, nice. I think. I think this was a re- just scamming people. <laughs> yeah, but in fairness, I think like Nev just absolutely wrecks Rakdos, right? Like, mm. and I think this should be fairly good against Mono Green as well. Like, you have a lot of like Planeswalker removal, artifact removal. It's just like it's just a solid like mid range deck. It's just the mid range color, but the issue is like it's. I think it's very hard to play efficiently and. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very hard to work out like how to sequence. Like your la- your mana base is an absolute mess. Um, but Claudio always draws Cariatid uh, turn two, so it's fine. Doesn't have to think about it. Um, but yeah, no, I mean Claudio's always on the pulse with Nev. He's always got like the best list with the weekend. So if anyone's going to do well with it, it's always going to be Claudio, isn't it? So fair play to Claudio for getting the top eight. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's a very powerful so, top eight. So yeah, how would you uh, wrap this uh, third week up? What 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 happened in this third week? We basically went back to base. We basically went back to the cream. The cream uh, rose to the top by me being the cream rising huh. to the top. Huh. But no, uh, realistically, um, what I mean by that is like the best X did well. I mean, the we best X did well. Very. I mean, there's a lot of variety here. To be honest, you yep. have what to to control kind of. They're two different types of control, basically. Mono green, like you said to you, and we had Claudio with five color Niv. It's yep. very diverse. Yeah. So basically, like for me, the best decks for me are um, Rakdos, blue white, mono green, and Phoenix. Mm. And um, I think we went to the point where like Rakdos, blue white, mono green did well. Um. And Phoenix wasn't represented that heavily, but I don't know, I don't know why that was the case. But um, yeah, like the best X started. Would you like, say that up results again? Would you say the metagame stabilized by this week? The yeah, I think so. I think so. Because like if we look at them. yeah, because if we look at the fallen, the fallen week, I'll try and speed it up a bit because I'm just being a wee bit wary of time. But I'll like yeah. follow it up from like um. For example, like the twenty fifth of July, uh, Marshall Cavallo uh, won the event with Rakdos midrange, um, Cabeza de Bolo, another like good player, um, came second with Abzan. So we are seeing like Abzan, uh, Greasewang starting to take hold in the meta. Um, a mono red aggro deck uh, came third by Andy Burden. Um, like mono red's like pretty reasonable, like. Not a huge fan of this version, but like it can go underneath. Um, Medvedev came fourth. This was the showcase, by the way. Um, Medvedev came fourth with um, 80 card blue white control. Um, pretty standard list. Um, Zhao Claudiums came fifth with the Rakdos midrange, uh, Rakdos sacrifice deck. Um, but with no Obnixilis in the main, which I no Obnixilis, which don't really agree with. I think they were a bit more lower to the ground with Voldaren Epicures and um, Shrapnel Blast. So they were trying to get a little bit lower to the ground, which makes sense. You don't want to go too high and get hammered by some of the, the mid-range decks. Um, John Smith came sixth place with um, Mono White Humans. Again, like this deck's been quite popular. Um, it's good against like the, the Mono Green decks, so you suspect that coming back. Um... Ramzamela came seventh with uh, the red black sacrifice deck again, except playing Obnixilus, um, unlucky witness, etc. So this deck has been doing well. The Rakdos sacrifice has been doing well because, as we said, Rakdos midrange and blue white got the finals of the last challenge. Theoretically, this deck should be good against them, and it has been. It's put up two copies in the top eight so far, and then Azato Yellow, who is, I'm going to be honest, they're a bit of a Phoenix one trick. They play Phoenix a lot in Pioneer. Kind of like Daniel, old Daniel Lacos. Like they, all, they only play Phoenix. And I think Phoenix is a deck that rewards you for knowing the deck inside and out and playing it well. So they were only playing Thing in the Ice, no Ledger Shredder. Bit of an interesting one. Um, I don't know if they just play the same list consistently and don't make any changes, but they got the top eight when they needed to qualify for the showcase. So yeah. Um... We're, we're seeing a bit more of the Abzan Greasefang and we're seeing the sacrifice lists doing well on the back of a lot of people playing Blue-White and Rakdos. 
Mudrange. So how many people were in this uh, showcase challenge again? It was just the uh, big four, one. Four hundred plus. Yeah, it's insane. It's absolutely yeah, insane. Yeah, yeah. Love, love to hear yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. So. So this, yeah. I was gonna say, is probably the you know we are recording this like on the the thirtieth, so we probably won't have any more results to talk about in this podcast. But I think this is enough to kind of talk about at least what's happening on MTGO, uh, the metagame on there. Uh, so yeah, real quick, wrap us up. Twenty fourth, you know this what I think third week or fourth week of of July. Um, what was the meta like? Like, is it still stabilized? No change from the week before, or did we see any kind of change at all? Do you think? Um, I think we've seen that Abzan Griezmann is a deck that people are willing to play in the big events, and it is putting up some results. So maybe we're seeing another deck rise to the top. Maybe mm-hmm. Abzan Griezmann should be probably. I would take it seriously now. It's doing well. It's top eighted consistently. Um, right. There's a clean list for Abzan. Griezmann, I think that was always coming. I think Griezmann has always been knocking on the door mm-hmm. for a while now, but people haven't been able to build it yeah. sort of optimally. This is the first kind of optimum build we've had this year, I think. Yep. Um, and yeah, get ready for it. 100% get your graveyard agree. hate in. 100% and agree. So I think like the rise, yeah, the rise in um, Rakdos sacrifice in Abzan Griezmann is what we take note of here. All right. Well, let's let's watch this space. Watch this space. So we got the the digital metagame, um, you know, under control here. And of course, you guys got me the Japan hobbyist. So I got to bring up paper events in Japan. I love doing this, and we did it last time as well. So we'll just take a little bit of time, maybe like five minutes or less, to kind of go over yeah, some of the results cool. from these events. And then, like I asked you last time, you know, when we put the paper and the MTGO results together, are they the same? You know, like. Uh, is is the pa- are the paper events getting closer to the MTGO results or is MTGO kind of getting closer to paper like that that sort of thing? So let me just uh, I sent you guys a link. Um, I put again for our listeners. This is all gonna be in our pod live chat if you want to take a look. And I just put all of the uh, July events together. Um, and uh, I'm just gonna start at the uh, earliest of earliest in July, going back to some paper events we had uh, in. In Japan, uh, there was a 73-person uh, event uh, in uh, sorry, on July 10th uh, in Kichijoji, which is uh, kind of western Tokyo. Uh, we had uh, Esper Control uh, in the top eight, the eighth place. We had uh, Mana Blue Spirits, I believe. And uh, then we had uh, Midrange, uh, uh, Rakdos Midrange, Lotus Combo, uh, what else did we have? Um, we had a um, Rakdos, another Rakdos midrange in fourth place, Green Devotion third place, Green Devotion uh, in second place, and an Is It Phoenix? So you know we're, you know this was a WPN, um, you know the uh, the qualifier, uh, yeah, pre- yeah, premium course. PTQ. So I don't think nothing really jumps out. I think this matches the the MTGO meta. Does anything surprise you out of these ty- this type of paper event? To be honest, not really. Like um, Japan always like Japan's like well known for having slightly spicy takes on like certain like archetypes. But I wouldn't say so myself. Like, what do you what do you think, Kevin? Any anything there that you think? You know, I think that's reasonable, and you know. 
everyone's mileage is going to vary. You know, your local meta is not going to be exactly identical. What's online? People play what they own. People play what they like. And uh, everyone's a little different. So, you know, that's kind of a, a reasonable place to end. This is that, you know, this is this is what we're end? looking at if we're trying to play the most competitive. Well, I mean, towards the end. Yeah. I still have paper yeah. things that I want to talk about. Real quick. Okay, yeah. Why don't you go ahead with a few more paper tournaments? But this is a good transition into the fact that your local tournaments, your big tournaments yeah. at your local stores, are going to vary, and things aren't going to be exactly but the same as online. I, you know, we are a voice of the online meta, but at the same time, like, don't listen to the voices of online the meta all the time because you're going to find differences. I mean, and that's actually, why I try and harp on things like, hey, this is a meta deck. This is good against these. If you're looking at a meta where it is very much like online and you're seeing black, red, blue, white, maybe go for sacrifice. If you're seeing something where people are playing a lot of rogue decks, maybe play, you know, a deck with a lot of raw power, play a Phoenix or something like that. So you kind of get to um, to play around with it and uh, keep an eye out for what people are playing locally. But um, yeah, basically, but yes, I took away yeah. from your uh, go go through a couple. Yeah, more I just want to go through a couple least, more because you know, I did, I did make highlights. a point at, at the end of this. Um so uh, there was another event on the, the 17th uh, in uh, Nagoya, 64 people, won by uh, Rakdos Midrange. Rakdos Sacrifice came in second. I believe we had Mono Blue Spirits in third. Uh, and then another Rakdos Midrange, uh, Blue White Control, uh, Black Red Midrange, uh, and Green Devotion, and then a Mono Red uh, rounding out the top eight. So I think, I mean, again, at, at this point, I want to say that both the paper and online events are kind of running together now. In the past, like when we talked about this in June, that you know we there was like a lot of strange decks, decks that we didn't never really saw showing up on on online. Um, I don't know. Would you guys agree with that? Would you say that it's indistinguishable now the the difference between <clears throat> paper meta and online meta? I think for the most part, yeah, because I think like what basically happens is. I think, like, a lot of people who, kind of like myself, like, probably not really, didn't really care too much to play, like, Paper Magic casually. Um, so, yeah, I think more people, if people like myself are starting to play Paper again, then, yeah, you're going to see a lot more, like, trends towards the online metagame as a result. Less, uh, maybe I want to say less innovation, but less risks being taken. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and of course, the last thing I wanted to go over before we jumped into the last part of this is the God of Pioneer was uh, on that same weekend on the seventeenth. Uh, Two hundred and ten people, very good turnouts. Uh, this is basically what I expect the one Ks and um, you know other types of big paper events to look like in the future. Uh, we had black. Uh, red mid-range winning it all green devotion coming in second place a blue white control in third place fourth uh fourth place was another uh, rectus mid-range deck and uh we had actually i yeah it was black red mid-range and then we had green devotion in fifth uh black red aggro in sixth a rectus sacrifice in seventh and a jund sacrifice deck in tokyo so yeah, I don't see the metagame changing that much in the future. I think at this point, both the Magic the Gathering Online and the paper metas have pretty much solidified. You know, before yeah. we went into this, and this was like one of my the last questions I wanted to ask before we kind of wrap this up is looking at all these results from both the paper and online. Um, 
is this what organized play is going to look like in the future? Not only going forward into August, you know, but because um, Pioneer is a eternal format, is this basically what people can expect going forward when they're going to, to big events or participating in these big MTGO events? Can I, can I go first here? Yep. I, I just want to say, if it is, I wouldn't be disappointed. I think that this has been a diverse and fun meta. I've been playing a little bit less recently, but that's just because I've been with, busy with other things. But I think that this is what people expect. You know, you can play every kind of deck. You can be competitive with every kind of deck. There's ways to prey on the meta. Um, that said, you know, we've got one month still, really. Mm-hmm. But, but this episode's going to come out, and we'll have about a month when this comes out. Of this same meta, you know, expecting no bans, expecting no changes until the new set drops. So, uh, you know, get comfortable with this a little while. I am going to say that I think there's still room for innovation. Mm. I think people are still trying new things. You know, Abzan Grease Fang didn't look like this a month ago. Um, Some of the, like, heroic and the humans lists definitely didn't look like this a month ago. Phoenix, I think, still has been adapting the last month. So I think there's still plenty of places where people will innovate and will continue to find new things that are strong in the meta before we see the end of this cycle of season yeah what about you martin yeah. are you happy with yeah. uh, you know this setup uh, the you know ha- this stabilized meta are you still happy to play uh, pioneer yeah like um i'm pretty pretty happy with like winota getting banned um i feel like you have a lot more agency in your games on average like i felt like when ota just gave this like wheel spin like you had to like warp your deck around it because and even when you did like sometimes you just couldn't beat their aggressive draws and you're like oh well lost lost the win ota matchup Ooh, like fun times um i think like <clears throat> yeah i like the fact there's more agency in the, the format in general that's why decks like blue white and rakdos are doing well in the hands of like decent players because they can get rewarded by making, you know, more effective decisions. decisions. Skill-based decisions, and they have the room for them to matter more. Um, It's it's a grindier format. I think we can all agree the format's very grindy. Um, And yeah, this is my kind of magic. Like, I like it. The meta's changing week to week. Like, everyone's fighting for the number one spot, and Mm -hmm. I don't think there's a clear, defined best deck. I think there's, there's, there's a clear, like, for me, there's a clear number of decks that are best when i say better i mean like slightly better i don't mm-hmm. think any deck is far and away the best deck yeah because i'd hear people saying like oh phoenix is the best deck and i'm like okay show me the numbers where's yeah. the numbers exactly there's no well, like what like it's not like do you remember phoenix like last year like this time like october last year when it was putting up up to five copies in the top eight do you remember that yeah it's probably like yeah, yeah. remember it was clearly like like what is going on here like this deck is clearly the best and eventually like it warped the format that people just only play decks that were good against Phoenix. Anyway, we're not at that stage. Mm. There's no deck that is clearly defined as the best deck. Each each deck, you'll see some decks, like I said, I think the top four I mentioned, like Rakdos, Blue White, Mono Green, Phoenix will probably put on average at least one copy to two copies in the top eight most weekends. Um, but apart from that, the other decks that are like not as consistent, only marginally. But they can so, spike events, I think, as well. So just because that's your saying. deck's not the best deck, Play what you want, learn it well, yeah, and you can still do well with it. Yeah, and this is my opinion. I might just be wrong. Do you mm. know what I mean? Like I could just be wrong. Like who's to say I, I know everything? Obviously I put a lot of time into it, but I might not be right. This mm-hmm. is my opinion. There's no there's no like consensus. This is this is from my personal experience. Anyway, 
So yeah, I think I think there's still room for some innovation. I would not be surprised if there wasn't though. Like I feel like people might just stick to what they know, um, and then might dabble into. You might see a cleaner list of Abzan Griezmann come out. Apart from that, we've got a month left. Not too much time. We'll see. All right. Well, uh, Kevin, anything else you want to say, or do you want to wrap this up? Nope, I've said my piece. I'm happy to wrap this up. So yeah, uh, your mileage will vary is what I'd want huh. to phrase towards the end here. But thank you so much for joining us, Martin. We really appreciate whenever you're able to bring these meta insights. You know, we pretty much think of you as our pioneer expert. Uh, make sure to go check out TAC. I'm sure you'll shout it out as well here uh, for more of those competitive insights. Because we kind of dabble. You know, we do competitive, we do more fun stuff, uh, and everything in between. So. Thank you guys all for listening. If you want to find more about our Pioneer content, go and follow us on Twitter at MTG Pioneer. You can also find a link to our Discord there. You can find uh, all of our other social things through there. Yeah, and you guys can find me on uh, Twitter at YoJapanHobbyist. And also, I'm always in the uh, the Discord. So if you want to come around and, and talk about the metagame or deck choices or whatever, you know, feel free. Uh, we look forward to talking to you. And Martin? Yeah, if you want to... Um... If you want to follow me and what I have to say, um, Twitter, Harry13SEO. And if, you know, I'm part of Tag Team, if you want to follow Tag Team, that's Tag Team 9. We also have a Patreon, feel free. Um, no pressure, of course. Um, but we do provide regular content on a weekly basis across a range of formats, not just Pioneer. Mm. Um, we do Modern, Legacy, stuff like that as well. Um, but yeah, and also Tag, tag Talk. We're also a podcast, and mm-hmm. I was going to say to you guys, maybe interesting to have a crossover where I have one of you on the on the show with myself and Claudio. It'd be good yeah. to to kind of anytime, yeah, yeah, to grow you is basically, you know, it'd yeah, be cool. I think it would be yeah, throw it throw it our way. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, no, thanks for having me on. You know, I, I love coming. I love this podcast. Podcast is great. It's been here for a while, um, and long may it continue, guys. Okay. Thank you, thank you. Oh, thank you. And thank you guys all for listening. We are the First Pioneers Podcast, and we look forward to being your go-to source for Pioneer information online. Um, and in honor of Ebs and Greasefang showing up, we are greasing out. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thanks, everybody. See you later. <laughs>